Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And today we are talking to the very first winner of Survivor. We're going all the way back to 2000 in Borneo when Richard Hatch was crowned the sole survivor and the first million dollar prize winner. Evan, do you want to talk about Richard Hatch? Ooh, Richard Hatch is a uh, a survivor winner with a big asterisk after his name, to say the least. I mean, Richard is complicated for many reasons, a bunch of which we get into in this interview, so we really won't go too deep into it here. But I think Richard is groundbreaking in so many senses in terms of the visibility of an out gay person on television at a time when there was not a ton of representation um, in that category. And then on top of that, I think that what representation there was of gay people, especially in the 90s, was more of like your Jack from Will and Grace type representation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the idea of having like a gay villain, it was super exciting at the time. I feel like nowadays it's like we get maybe too many gay villains and not enough gay <laughs> heroes. Um, but at the time, I think it was really uh, fun to see someone who was villainous, but also sort of like gelled with so many um, personalities that perhaps many people wouldn't expect. Obviously, the most uh, known being his relationship with Rudy, which lasted beyond the show. I think his reputation obviously was tarnished through his time on All Stars and then mm -hmm. also just like his subsequent sort of like uh, reputation as far as, you know, uh, everything that went down with the tax evasion. Is it tax evasion? Do I yeah. Know that right? Yeah. So all of a lot of this stuff is Googleable and we discussed some of it on the pod. But I think overall, I think in sort of uh, separating the many uh, prongs that are, that is Richard Hatch, I think that looking at this mostly as the season one winner of Survivor, I think Richard is historic. Uh, and I share a sentiment that was expressed by Sophie in saying that I would have really loved to have seen Richard play once again on Winners at War. Um, what are your thoughts on Richard Hatch? Yeah, it's very complicated. And I, to be totally upfront, was very hesitant about having him on the show. Uh, we went through with it anyways. And I think that it's a great interview. I think that he was fascinating to hear from. Uh, and, you know, we didn't shy away from any topics. So uh, I think that it's it's worthwhile. Richard as a character on Survivor is so interesting to me because obviously I just have so much nostalgia for season one and so much love for season one. And so to talk to anybody who was on that island is just like so kind of surreal for me. But also Richard has this huge, huge reputation as one of the greatest winners. And he may have given that to himself, that title, but one of the greatest winners and, and, Partially for some good reason, because he sort of, you know, had the first successful alliance and wrote it all the way to the end and won the game, which was the blueprint by which many winners to come would play this game. And of course, on All Stars, he was a pre-merge boot. And that was a little bit stacked against him and the other winners in that season. And we've never seen him return. He was in contention to return many times, including on Heroes versus Villains. As far as I'm aware, he was cast 
on Winners at War and uh, cut at the last minute along with Tina, presumably because of the events of season 39. Uh, I'm not saying Tina was cut for that reason, but Tina was also cut uh, at the same time. And I do think it's kind of unfortunate because it would be very interesting to see how Richard would play modern Survivor. Uh, Like I said, I don't think he really got the chance to play in All-Stars. And I'm really curious whether he could do it again or get far or whether he could truly adapt to this new game. Okay, as you would expect, this episode contains discussions about sexual harassment and sexual assault. So if that is a conversation you would rather not hear, I would recommend skipping this episode. Otherwise, we will get straight into it. Here is our conversation with Richard Hatch. Richard Hatch was a corporate trainer and consultant from Rhode Island when he was marooned in the South China Sea in March of 2000, kicking off the very first season of a little CBS summer filler show called Survivor. Richard was placed on the Toggy tribe alongside players like Susan Hawk, Dr. Sean Kenneth, Rudy Bosch, and Kelly Wigglesworth. When Toggy lost the first immunity challenge, Richard targeted Stacey Stillman, though it wasn't until day nine that the majority of the Toggy tribe joined him in voting Stacy off. When Richard revealed to his tribe that he was gay, he was concerned that one of his potential allies, Navy SEAL Rudy, would not accept it. However, Rudy and Richard became close friends, just not in a homosexual way, that's for sure. On day 10, Richard, Rudy, Sue, and Kelly formed an alliance, a move that Richard posited could make them unstoppable. This proved true after the merge, or merger as it was known back then, when the five remaining Toggy members faced off against the five remaining Pagong members and voted Gretchen Cordy off the island. With the scales tipped in the Toggy Alliance's favor, they systematically eliminated every remaining member of the opposing Pagong tribe, a strategy so fundamental to the game of Survivor that it has subsequently been referred to as Pagonging. Despite the Toggy Alliance making it to the final five, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Kelly's distrust of Richard and her uneasiness about voting with the Alliance presented a potential threat to Richard's game. This caused infighting between Kelly and Sue, and around this point, Richard and Rudy made a pact never to vote against each other and to try to vote Kelly out. However, Kelly's dominance in the immunity challenges prevented them from carrying out this plan. In the final immunity challenge, which saw players hold on to the immunity idol for as long as possible, Richard bet on the fact that both Rudy and Kelly would take him to the final two and stepped down. Kelly once again won immunity and cast the sole vote that sent Rudy home, taking Richard to the final two. At the final tribal council, Richard argued that he played a stronger game than Kelly. Both Richard and Kelly were targets in the most memorable jury speech in Survivor history, in which Sue Hawk likened Richard to a snake and Kelly to a rat, and pled to the jury to vote for Richard to win so that the snake could eat the rat as Mother Nature intended. In a 4-3 vote, Richard won the title of sole survivor and the million-dollar prize and made television history in the process. The finale was watched by over 51 million people in the U.S. alone. Seven seasons later, Richard returned to compete in the first-ever returning player season, Survivor All-Stars. Richard played a seemingly laid-back but equally arrogant game to season one. 
He continued to play the role of provider, even getting bitten by a shark and biting the shark back. On day 15, at the Mogomogo tribe's first trip to tribal council, Richard was bamboozled and unanimously voted out. Richard is credited with creating the blueprint by which Survivor is played and won. Welcome to Drop Your Buffs, Richard Hatch. Thanks, Sean. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> I love your introduction. You guys are both adorable. Oh, thanks. Thank you. What's it like for you to hear that? All, all of those details of this game you played 21 years later. Well, arrogant me <laughs> wants to point out that it's not arrogance if you win. <laughs> okay. No, they, uh, they, that was my moniker. They would, they would talk about, um, how arrogant I was and the production particularly and the, the executives behind the show selected me because they thought I was so damn arrogant. And, and that was what I was trying to portray to them in order to get selected onto the show, but they weren't even sure what the game was. So they literally chose me because they knew I would be voted off first because I was a cocky prick. So in the last interview, for example, before being selected, I walked in, there were 16 or 17 uh, executives and a little tiny chair. And I was supposed to go sit in that and in a little semicircle, they'd ask me questions. And I put my hand on the back of the chair and I said, listen, you know, you're going to pick me. What you don't know is I'm going to win. And what you need to know for planning purposes, I'm going to host next year's show. So could we move this on a little bit? And I walked out of the room <laughs> to them laughing. So they didn't even get to ask me questions. But but so that kind of cocky arrogance was a uh, was what I was doing for them. So they knew I'd be entertaining on the show and would select me. But that's not what I did with the contestants, as you saw. <laughs> so anyway. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> um, I do want to I want to zoom out for a minute, though, because yeah. I'm curious where you sort of see yourself as fitting in within the Survivor verse and particularly whether or not you still watch the show, and if you consider yourself a part of the community, because as you know, there is a community that has risen up, both of former players and devout fans of this show, a podcast universe, I mean, you're on one now, live events, all of this, this cottage industry around Survivor. You are the original Survivor, but do you still regard yourself as someone that exists within the universe of Survivor? Well, I guess I do. Um, I've never missed an episode. So I love, love, love the game, but I despise what's happening to it. And I'm extremely vocal. Uh, Jeff Probst is horrendous as a human being, and he's just ruining the show. And I, I'm happy to talk to you about details because I am I know you guys watch the show. This is what this is about. Drop your buffs. And his gimmicks and his ego are destroying it. He doesn't understand the game, and he's been there as the host. Beautifully. He's a great host. But he's screwing up the game by the, the way he's uh, implementing changes that are really, really counterproductive and take away from the game, uh, I, as I believe fans will tell you. Um, but no, I never miss an episode. I love the game. I have my own YouTube channel where I talked uh, uh, at length about some of the other episodes, but I just I don't have the time to do that every week. This, this time, so I just did one in the beginning, and maybe, I'm so frustrated with what's happened this season, I'll, I'll probably do another one soon, because it's driving me nuts, um, <laughs> which is a short drive, as you might be able to tell by now. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So as you are aware, you are a complex figure in the Survivor universe. Yeah. Legendary, some would say. Disgraced, others might say. Yeah. With the show in its self-described new era, where do you see yourself in the pantheon of the show at present? Um, as the best or one of the best players ever uh, and continuously. And I won't accept any of the disgraced stuff because it's just um, absolute bull crap. 100% bull crap, made up nonsense. So I, I've pl I played the game brilliantly and I expected to come back from that because I was so proud of how I played with people... Um, like you might in a football game recognize, wow, how did he do so well? How did he know what was going on? But instead, they didn't understand the game. And so I was, you know, the villain and the this and the that. And what many people still don't know after all these years uh, is that you kept, even in your introduction, Sean, you talked about um, Kelly winning another challenge or whatever. Well, she was cheating. She'd been fed the entire game and she was sharing that food with Sue. And I caught them and stopped production and talked to them. So there, there are a lot of things that went on behind the scenes in the first season that people aren't aware of and that were roadblocks to my winning. They desperately wanted Rudy to win, you know, the Navy SEAL, et cetera, the production, et cetera. So I overcame a lot to win. I was really proud to win. And there's an enormous... Um, uh, kind of pride, I guess, uh, associated with my having fought through that and, and done as well as I did. What's happened since is even more troubling because it's, you know, prior to Survivor, I did never care. I never cared what anyone thought of me. Uh, but when you get on a show like that and you're uh, exposed worldwide as gay and atheist, etc., it, it it turned out that what other people think of you can impact your life. They really can negatively um, undermine you and your family, et cetera. And, and that's really a lot of what happened to me has been negative since. So it's, it's pretty frustrating. And then when you watch the people in power with whom uh, responsibility ought to lie for making sure it's an even playing field and fair, et cetera, and you see others, other players, who, you know, were blatantly homophobic, talking about fairies and queers, et cetera, right on air, uh, you know, being elevated and brought back time after time after time after time in an effort to get them because they were their favorites to win. Um, you, you really see the dark side of who we are and what racism, bigotry and homophobia is all about. It's, 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 it's awful. And then now recently, as you see in the game, not to be such a downer on this podcast, I mean, but what you see happening in the game is them trying to pretend that they're some kind of social um, uplifters, and they're they're trying to be the arbiter of what what is what is good and fair by by faking a, a narrative rather than just e exposing who the people are and leaving we fans to talk about it. What happened on Survivor and why this took place or that didn't? Jeff's put himself in this fake role of of being an arbiter when he's one of the worst offenders of being so unself-aware and uh, terribly, terribly homophobic. <clears throat> Awful, but 
you know, ask away. I'll certainly tell you what what I'm thinking. <laughs> well, yeah, you touched on uh, many of our future questions. So okay, don't worry. we're going to dig deeper, and not to not to use a Jeff Probst phrase, but we're going to dig deep uh. into some of those points. Come on, guys. <laughs> so let's you know, go back. Let's go back to 2000. Yeah. Uh, before we get to uh, present day Survivor. Just like basic question. How did you hear about Survivor? You know, it wasn't on TV yet. Where did you hear about it? And uh, why did you apply? Uh, so my mom, I think, first said, hey, they're putting together a show just for you. She's always got some cockamamie idea of what I should do or could do or be, you know. Uh, and I laughed and I said, mom, what are you talking about? I don't know. I saw a commercial. They're putting on a show just for you. Where? I don't know. She had no idea, no what, didn't know what channel, didn't know anything. But a week later, a friend of mine in D.C. said the same thing. I thought, what the hell? You, you don't know my mother. What are, you, what are you talking about? She said, no, on CBS, I saw an ad for a show that is made for you. They, 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 so I, I looked it up, and uh, it was, you know, the psychological background. That's my academics. But more than that... Um, you know, I spent a month in the Talkeetna Mountains, north of Anchorage, Alaska, a month in Maine, a month in Canada. I, I loved just disappearing into the woods, and that's how I got rejuvenated most of my life. So I thought, oh, this they'll pay me to go? I, I could win? I'll pay them. <laughs> this, this is awesome. So I filled out the application, and I knew thousands and thousands of people would be applying. So I thought, okay, I've got to make this somewhat interesting. So I you know, there were the questions like, who would you not want to be on the island with or to be stranded on an island with? And I said, you know, morons and bigots and bores, oh my. And I tried to make each question something that they would think was, you know, memorable or whatever, but true. Uh, and they might be, you know, think about, oh, what does that mean? He doesn't want to be on with morons and bigots and bores. Anyway, it worked. <laughs> hmm. That's how. So take me back to that first ever marooning. Obviously, you hadn't had a chance, I assume, to talk to your fellow cast mates, tribe mates uh, up until that point. So had you been sizing up your competition ahead of the actual marooning? Uh, and and like what was going through your mind just as in those first moments of the game? Yeah, so we were uh, herded onto a boat before ever having spoken to one another, because we weren't allowed to. And the boat left Borneo for this island, Plautiga, in the South China Sea uh, one morning, and we were just uh, separated and not allowed to talk to one another. So I did just observe what's going on, etc. And I knew enough, we knew very little, I forget what they did tell us, but very little about the game, but, but, but I knew enough to have planned my approach. And I noticed Rudy nearly instantly and decided he was going to be part of my alliance. So I made him an alliance member in my mind without knowing if he was going to be on my team, how we were going to be separated, what was going to happen. He was just somebody, I was in the army, I went to West Point, I, he was in the Navy, he was a SEAL. Um, I didn't care about the gay and the old thing that would have been, uh, you know, problematic. That always works out eventually. So I, I, I just knew he would be somebody I could rely on. I, I understood him, and uh, that's how it started. And then we were thrown off the boat, you know, a couple miles offshore, and it all began. 
It, it did indeed all begin. Um, <laughs> I think one of the notable things about the season, I mean, one of a million, but we don't get to see you come out to your tribe mates in the show. And that's in contrast to, I'm thinking, you know, a few seasons later, John on Marquesas has this moment in which, you know, a tribe mate literally comes over to him and says, like, are you gay? We don't see anything like that happen with you, for you, within within the, within your tribe, or even later in the game, can you tell us about the reaction to your tribe mates uh, in terms of how they reacted to your coming out? Did you have a formal coming out? Were you asked by them? How did that all play out? So that's that's an interesting thing. I think it happened in a couple of different ways. Um, Jervis on the who wasn't on my team noticed one of the producers' cards that they ran around, they wore around their necks, and on the card. It had my name and said, "Gay or whatever, homo, homo, you know, homosexual or whatever the whatever it was." And Jervis was all like, "Oh, you know, <laughs> there's a gay guy there." Um, so that didn't get to our tribe until sometime after I think I'd already started, kind of putting that out there a little bit, um, and I forget why. So. Everything I did was intentional and everything I, I did, I, I did with the intention of it impacting people in particular ways, not in ways that people would necessarily think you might want to do if you were in a competition, but it was part of my strategy. I, I couldn't be like... Only the food provider, because they'd get rid of you. I mean, you know, it's just, okay, you got food for us. I don't care. Uh, if you're threatening, you're going to go. I had to be a little um, challenging, too. I had to be a little positive and a little negative. And it's, it's a real interesting balance psychologically, I think. And it turned out well for me. So I was tossing out bits, asking questions about uh, probably particularly of Dirk, who was carrying his Bible and constantly talking out loud to himself, uh, but I think he thinks to a higher being or something, um, things. And so I would ask him what, you know, his, he and his people might think of, you know, of gay people or whatever. And he had lots to say. And um, so it became known in little ways, first on my tribe, but in a blatant way on the other tribe. And then when the merge happened, obviously everybody knew. And uh, I just didn't care. You know, okay. I, I, I just did not care who knew or who didn't. Tell me this much. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe the very first gay kiss on television was in season three of Dawson's Creek, which I think would have been around 2000 and and I mentioned that because I think for a lot of younger people that do not know or those just uninformed we have come just the velocity with which LGBTQ plus representation in media has happened is just cannot be un, cannot be overstated and so I'm just curious can you sort of convey your recollection of what the landscape was of LGBTQ plus people and sort of who were the people that you were looking to I mean yeah. this is what a few years into Will and Grace but for many people Will and Jack were the only two examples of gay that existed they were, and I never saw Dawson's Creek, so I don't know about that. And I knew Ellen happened somewhere around there, or or, or soon, or 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 immediately thereafter. And um, I don't know who my examples were, and I think part of my frustration was that there weren't many, and so I didn't really have, you know, a a, a prototype. I just knew 
I was going to be me. I don't care. I'm strong enough to be me. I talked to the producers about this all the way in the beginning. There, we had some really odd conversations like um, Mark Burnett and Craig Poligian, who was the co-executive producer for the first three seasons, came into the room when we first met. And one of Craig's first questions to me was, are you serious? Never? No pussy ever? And I said, no. <laughs> Or something to that effect. And he kind of laughed, but didn't really believe me. It was uh, an odd thing. And then Mark kind of intervened a little bit and said, listen, this is really important to me. Two of my closest friends are a gay couple and I want representation, you know, out there and to be part of the show. And this is going to be, you know, something important. And I expressed the idea that I'm not just gay. I'm a guy who's got a lot going on and I'm going to be me. And I couldn't care less. That was really important to them. Who knows that I'm gay? I guess they were concerned about whether I'd be bothered about being known that way or would talk about it or not. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. <laughs> Poor Greg. <laughs> he was so damn cute. I was doing more than talking about it. Um, but he tried to use that. Greg tried to flirt with me in order to get me to get him to stay, which was adorable. Uh, telling me about his experiences with guys when he first grew up. and I think he might have made that up, but maybe not. But I loved it. And I talked to the camera about it. So I didn't care. And it was, in my mind, not a big issue. But even as you were introducing this segment and asking me that question, I got a little bit of goosebumps. Because one of the most wonderful things about my having been a part of the show and one of the things I'm more proud of than any anything else is the amount of contact the number of guys young kids whoever who have contacted me and in tears and and in in all kinds of ways just expressed what it meant to them to see someone that they could relate to and um, appreciated my not caring kind of thing well, also, and not for nothing, you're winning, right? So yeah. it's not only the, the depiction of a gay person on television. I think it's so notable that it's a gay person winning. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's a game, so there was no guarantee of that. But I had some real confidence that this was something I could accomplish, you know, before I went in. This is, this is right up my alley, and I thought I could do it. So I was, I was proud to have won, too. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, Borneo is interesting for this reason as well because it's bookended by the two gay characters. We have Sonia going out first, yeah. uh, the first lesbian on Survivor, and we have you winning at the end. And intriguingly, those bookends were opposites. So Sonia, whom I adore, and I've spent lots of times with and, and became friends with afterwards, um, did not want to be open, was not willing to talk about her being gay and talked with producers about that. And they talked about how it would impact or could impact her life, etc. And so it was not a focus of who she was. It wasn't made public. The producers in editing decided not to uh, include anything about that. Um, but we weren't the only gay people on Borneo. <laughs> uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a large community, LGBTQ plus, you know, et cetera. And so, you know, there are there are bisexual people and uh, people who were gay and maybe aren't. And, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> there are a lot, wow. There's a lot going on on Borneo. 
Okay, well, we'll leave that at that. But uh, <laughs> I'm tracking are down. Raised. Yeah, suddenly I'm tracking down more Borneo contestants. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think Ramona's been pretty open about it. That's that's okay. You know, a pretty straightforward one that I can talk about. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one of the memorable things about Borneo, like we were saying, was your unlikely relationship with Rudy. I yeah. think uh, Rudy said uh, the homosexual one is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And, uh, of course, he said he's fat, but he's good. He's fat and he's queer, but he's smart. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> that was on air, and I loved it. I yeah. didn't care about fat or queer or whatever. I am, you know? It just <laughs> didn't bother me. And and people had were in an uproar, you know, a little bit about that kind of terminology, et cetera. It's who he is. Who cares? He doesn't mean anything negative by it. It's just a descriptor, and that's his understanding and it just didn't bother me in the least. I loved it. I loved that it was honest. I loved that he was open about it. I loved that even there was a little bit of humor, a sense of humor in his, mm-hmm. you know, talking that way. He he got it. So I loved it. So Rudy sadly passed away in 2019. I'm wondering if you maintained a friendship with him in the intervening years, or do you have any memories of Rudy you want to share? Oh, yeah. No, I I, I did. In fact, uh, before even leaving the island, before Kelly and I burned everything, I took the Rowdy Rudy's kitchen sign and uh, sometime later uh, gave it to he and Marge, him and his wife, Marge. Um, no, he's just a, a special guy. And my mom and Marge became friends and Rudy and I stayed in touch. And he, he's just, well, he was just, uh, you know, a a uh, a straightforward guy who I understood. You know, I was in the military. I, I understood him. I understood where he came from and, and how he felt about the world. And, and I got how the world made sense to him. And none of that um, way in which he thought of, people different from him affected me negatively in any way. It wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, um, there are others, for example, who think of uh, gay people with disdain. That's not Rudy. Rudy just knew we're different and wasn't afraid to talk about, Hey, we're different, you know, not in a homosexual way, etc. You know, well, he's going to rub my shoulder. Frack, my guy, the guys at home, the, the uh, my seal buddies are really gonna you know let me have it for this, but but it but none of that had anything to do with him thinking disdainfully about who I was in any way, shape, or form, and that's that's an important distinction, I think. Yeah, I mean, I always got the impression, and this is not a negative thing. I don't think Rudy had been exposed to a lot of gay people in his life, and so his reaction was one of you know at times he was shocked, and at times yeah. he would say things that were you know not PC. But I think that there was something endearing about Rudy in that for a lot of viewers, they too were exposed to a gay person for the first time, and so Rudy was kind of like a proxy for a lot of viewers. Um, I also think it's worth noting that you hear a lot of people today say, "I want to play like Boston Rob," or I want to play like Sandra. No one would ever say, I want to play like Rudy, despite the fact that Rudy made it to the very end. I mean, he's not at the final tribal, mind you, but he's in the last episode, you know? And well, Rudy I think was that's not, notable. Rudy was not a good survivor. <laughs> no, but I mean, if, you, no. if the argument is to be good at survivors to go far, I mean, Rudy's a better player than a lot of well-regarded players are, is what well, I'm trying to say. Well, Evan, I think you're missing a little point that I've yelled about for years, and it isn't. Uh, the point isn't to go far. So you sound a little to me like, what's that little sh- that little troll? Uh, Russell. Russell. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard. 
I'm teasing. He knows. I, I, he, he, we, we, we play with each other. He, um, but you sound like Russell. Russell talks about being such a good player because he gets far. It, It has almost nothing to do with the game, getting along, getting far, even to the final end. It, it matters almost not at all. Um, with respect to how well you played the game. Okay, but I I agree with you, but I do think, and this leads to my next question, but I do think had Rudy won that final immunity, Rudy would have won the game. So I think it would be a very different conversation. So let me ask this. So Rudy, as you know, uh, does not win the game, but I also think you know that the producers really wanted Rudy to win. Rudy, for those of you listening who don't remember, Rudy was a phenomenon much bigger than Survivor. I mean, Rudy really just had America captured in a way. And I'm just wondering how you think the legacy of the show would have been different had you been the runner-up and had Rudy been the winner of season one. Well, I, I do think it would be really, really different. I think the legacy might be that it that the show may not have continued because the show itself, I don't even think the producers, maybe they do by now, but I don't even think they really understand what the draw is and why the show is the success that it is. I, I think it's really about each individual viewer being required, uh, having no option other than to be much more introspective when they watch the show. They can't help but ask themselves, would I do that? Why'd she do that? What's he doing? Oh my gosh, why, who? Those things cause us to think about who we are and what we would or wouldn't do. And I think that's just so powerful, it's overwhelming, and that's what draws fans to the show. Those types of things may not even be thought about were Rudy to have won the show. Rudy's one of the least introspective people I've ever met. He's a wonderful, beautiful man with a foul mouth and a great sense of humor, but he just plodded along and he was literally carried. I fought tooth and nail very early on. He was, every single other person was trying to vote him off and I wanted, he was a part of my alliance. I knew I needed him. I desperately kept him on uh, the second episode, third episode, etc. So, uh, yeah, I think the game would be very, very, very different. I don't think they, the producers, understood what was necessary to win the game. I think they didn't know what I was doing or why I was doing it. I was naked, so they weren't even filming me for half the show until I heard, you know, producer telling a cameraman, Jesus Christ, that naked guy's still here. Jesus, get some footage of him. Uh, Because they were all straight. The camera guys were all straight. And so the naked thing really helped me. They didn't follow me around, so I could get close to other people and listen to their conversations. I could hide, and there wasn't a camera coup. They were all just like, you know, and going the other direction. I loved it. Anyway, very early precursor to like a Tony Vlachos. uh, You don't even need a spy shack. You can just be out in the open. Exactly. Exactly. And Tony, you know, really did not play well his first season, but he gets it. He got it. I mean, he really played well when he won uh, Winners at War. Much of much of what happened to him the first time was luck. And he kept he kept really screwing up badly and then somehow being able to get himself out of it. It was it was awesome to watch. I love I love how he plays. I love that he gets the game. He's one of the few that do now. Mm. 
So, so much of season one, I feel like, is missing from the TV show. I think they were really figuring out how to put this production together. Maybe they didn't have uh, the kind of staff that they might need in terms of camera crew and field producers and things like that. So uh, I feel like there's some actually some really important pieces missing, and I'm hoping you can help fill in some gaps, particularly around the relationship between Sue and Kelly, because we watched that relationship fall apart, but it really does seem to happen off camera for the most part to the point that when we see Sue's speech at the end, we're like, whoa, where did this come from Uh, to a certain extent? Is there anything that you can tell us about that relationship or their fallout? Well, I really was an instigator there, uh, (laughs) frankly. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I, I... I have no qualms about saying that that was something intentional on my part that I, you know, would tell one thing, one, then the other one, the other one, trying, you know, pitting them against one another. When I saw cracks, I would exploit them. That, that, that was the whole point of most of the game. Um, and really necessary part of this sociological experiment. I mean, if they were to have remained tight, I would have had no chance at the end, two against one, you know, it just wouldn't have happened. They'd have voted me out somehow. So, um, Sue, who is, uh, I believe, um, somewhat unstable, um, and it was showing, you know, that the speech is just one of many we heard and a culmination of the stresses that kind of cracked her uh, stability. And so as I saw saw that stability uh, being um, challenged, I highlighted Kelly's relationship with the other younger uh, people on the other team and how she made such close connections. And, you know, Sue started to become paranoid about that and would notice that I was telling the truth about these interactions that Kelly was having. I wasn't even lying. I would have lied, but I didn't need to. That was what she was doing. And so, that really sparked something that um, was deeper than even I could have known in Sue. And she developed a kind of hatred for, I think what she felt was having been played by Kelly, even though Kelly really wasn't playing her fully. She, she wasn't as um, separate from Sue or uh, opposed to her or trying to abuse or use her in the way that I was trying to get sue to believe kelly was doing um so that's what started it what's so interesting about what you're saying is it sounds like everything you you did would be used in a present day final tribal to argue one's resume you know someone would present the ways in which they manipulated other players strategically and you didn't even have to do that you actually just choreographed it in such a way that they sort of imploded their own games as a result, but never got sort of like the strategic credit for that, which I think is pretty interesting. Well, I don't know how many seasons you saw after that, but people still for years went to tribal council apologizing. And I would sit at home kind of like banging my head at the stupidity of such a move, knowing there was no chance of them winning by, by doing that, that, that the game and the viewer, everybody understood that at the end, what was necessary was for you to be aware of, proud of, responsible for the moves that you made. And that took 
more than a decade before people started doing it. It was it was amazing to me. It's the yeah. classic Amanda Kimmel Achilles heel yeah. that she yeah. apologizes for uh, her game. Mm. Yeah. So one thing that I think really bonds Sean and I in our love for the earlier aspects of the game is the true survival component, uh, which not that it doesn't exist anymore, but it's very different now. Uh, Parvati and Rob Sestranino were talking on a recent podcast, and Parvati talked about some of the ways in which, in her seasons out, and I think Rob corroborated this for his, they would pretend to take the boat out to Tribal just to film that, when in fact they would be, you know, chaperoned over to Tribal. There was no sort of like they weren't, you know, uh, drive. They weren't driving their, their own boat overwards, but over there. But you were. Uh, so I'm just curious. Uh, in season one. It's just all these tribals actually required you to make your way to tribal council. Can you tell us anything about the trek to tribal council that we didn't see? And was there any strategizing taking place during that trek? Oh, Christ. There was trying to stay alive taking place. <laughs> it, it was absurd. The, the hike was miles and miles. And the hike back particularly was in the middle of the night, completely pitch black. And we had those goddamn stupid... Um, torches with with fuel in them and they were on fire so i was in front of rudy for example one of these nights and rudy tripped the whole thing all down my back on fire oh crazy crazy (laughs) (laughs) in the middle of the freaking jungle you know miles from camp on our way back it's 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 hard to it's hard to even describe in a way that anybody could appreciate how absurd and unnecessary the off-camera hiking uh, traumatic uh, stupidity of that was. But it did continue for many, many seasons, and I'm sure in many ways um, the producers liked to get bits of that so that the viewers would think that this was um, a, a, a bigger and more continuous than it actually right. actually It's was. funny in mainlining the show as I have, just watching sort of like aspects of the difficulty of the survival life. I mean, even thinking about the maroonings as they once existed, sometimes they'd have to do these long hikes or, or just yeah. the various things they had to do. And then these days it's kind of like, here you are, you're at the beach, like yeah. enjoy. Um, <laughs> We kind of got at this a little bit, uh, or you got at this rather, by telling us that Kelly was given food. Uh, this has long been known. This was something that was sort of uh, revealed kind of soon after the game. But I'm just curious if you can illuminate anything else about that. And I guess one thing I'm curious about is if I were playing a game like this and one of my fellow contestants was being favored in that way, I would want to throw up my red flag and be like, this is bullshit. Oh, um, I shut everything down. But how did, yeah, can you eliminate how that worked? Because you weren't in a position of power, or maybe you were. I was. I mean, at that point, it was over. I mean, there was no way they could continue with me doing nothing, sitting on the beach like this. Um, But I went to Jeff. I went to uh, Probst on the yacht that came in. Can can I just pause you? Like, when you say you went to Probst, like, was Probst just, like, around? No. So you remember the yacht that uh, Sean one brunch or something with his dad or whatever and he chose me to go with him so when i went out there probst was in a cabin on the yacht and i went straight to the cabin and shut the door and we had it you know out i i laid out exactly what was going on probst was infuriated that this had been happening uh on my side grateful for me explaining would address it handle it you know immediately and nothing happened 
when I went back to filming, got up there, had brunch, did the whole thing, and you know went back to the beach and continued. Nothing happened that day. Nothing happened that night. Nothing happened the next day until I went to the producer who was on set that day and said, "It's over. Done. No more filming. Period." Those people that were feeding her are still here. I don't know what's going on. Um, she's won five challenges in a row or four at that point. I forget what it was. And uh, you guys are nuts if you think I'm just going to pretend that I'm not close to winning and that this is putting it in jeopardy. So then out come the producers, uh, Probst, and well, after a while. I mean, they shut it down. They pulled off the beach, stopped filming, stopped uh, production, and um, said that they would get you know, Mark Burnett. And so Mark and Craig came out playing good cop, bad cop and talked to the four or five of us. And then one at a time brought us aside and they started with threats, Burnett threatening me. Who do you think you are? This is my life's work. How do you, how dare you, blah, blah, blah. How dare I? And so I finally pointed out to him. And by the way, I have proof, you son of a bitch. Kelly wrote a letter to Sue thanking her or, 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 or sharing with her how she sh uh, shared all the food with her and saying, listen, you know, I'm still on your side. I've shared all the food I've gotten, you know, from the producers with you the whole time and blah, 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 blah. Sue, mad at Kelly, gave me that letter. Hmm. Mark lost his mind, uh, instantly let, dropped out of that angry, you know, how dare you mode and was all of a sudden now, Rich, what can we do? And things things changed or, or or whatever, but it was it's just a big game. It's the same in all you know company, but behind the scenes, it's just about the money and and whatever. They've lost sight, even probes now, of who the fans are and what the game's about. If they ever even really knew, and they think they're the only ones who know, and they're so caught up in it that they don't know how to listen to somebody who is part of it, who actually is only about the game. I, we don't get any money out of it. You know, it's just not part of what drives those of us who were there and, and the fans. And so I know what the game's about and they should have recognized that and had me more involved ever since, but whatever, uh, <laughs> that's who they are. These are, these are successful executives who are great at making money and, and uh, a life for their families. And that's what was going on with this cheating. They didn't care about anything. They would never have addressed it. Um, if I didn't force the issue. And so you have somebody who is accused of cheating with, you know, potential evidence. Uh, I know it was a long time, but I mean, Kelly came back for a second chance, season 31. Yeah. And they brought, and her, they back. brought her back. Yeah. Uh, did you, I, I, you, I assume you watched it. There wasn't I much did. to say about Kelly. There wasn't <laughs> other than she couldn't play then either. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, she wasn't playing well no, wasn't. at all. You know, there's no argument in that. I don't think anybody would argue. Maybe she would. I don't know. We don't talk. But I don't think there are many people who would ever argue that she could play Survivor well. That's not why she was brought back. And then she didn't when she was brought back. So, yeah, I don't know. She had been playing pretty well in the game. And I, I, I you know, I, to be fair, I, I really respected her her age. And I talked to her about that early on. I thought you've really got something. She had some clarity that the other participants didn't have. She was as focused in a way that they weren't. She had some skills that they didn't. And I talked with her about that, how impressed I was with her focus and gameplay on the beach before I caught her cheating. And then when I caught her being given food by one of the guys, uh, 
and then looked for the food and found the food. And th th that changed my perspective of how she played the game. But it didn't make me hate the woman or anything. I mean, she was a young person, 20, 25. She'd made some mistakes, and that was a big, big mistake that was affecting my game. What changed and made me lose all respect for her was afterward, in the real life, when I was going through the court case around the taxes associated with the show and the testimony with Marks or somebody's uh, about the cheating that took place. And she was interviewed and said, uh, I don't know what he's talking about. There was no cheating. This wasn't part of the game. This was, you know, related to a court case, public opinion after the game, etc. And at that point, I, I lost all respect for who Kelly is. Can I ask, since you mention it, uh, about the sure. taxes, because I've always yeah. heard these two stories related to one another, the f the f cheating with the food and the taxes. I is that true? Did you come to some deal with CBS about them paying your taxes? Is that? No, utterly, utterly unrelated and rumors and, mm. and bizarre stuff. In those conversations when I caught them cheating with Burnett and Craig Poligian, Craig Poligian said to me, oh, I said to him, um, I'm so close to winning, and this is a freaking 600 and something thousand dollars. This is crazy. This is life-changing for me. And he said, you're a naive moron, or you're an idiot, or, you know, words to those effect, uh, to that effect. Really, really powerful, memorable uh, impact on me that he was calling me stupid for thinking that it was only 600 and so you have no idea not only are the taxes going to be paid but you're going to there's there's more involved uh, you're going to get more things than that you have no idea the impact of this there's going to be a car etc 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 then i went back from the one on one with craig to mark and i sit used the same thing and i said you know i'm i'm so close to winning this is 600 and something thousand dollars this is crazy it's going to change my life and he said something very very similar uh you know kind of um, pointing out my naivete, thinking that that's all I was going to get, that this was was something something very different. Unrelated to my not paying taxes, unrelated to anything in general, this was just something I had to recount later uh, and explain that this came up. It's not there's no 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 relation to her cheating food or my not paying or not paying or them promising to pay or not pay. I even set aside money of from that million in case over the year, because you don't pay taxes just on what you won, you pay taxes over the year on your income. And so I put a big chunk into Merrill Lynch and it was stolen <laughs> by a Merrill Lynch employee who stole from 30 some uh, other investors at the same time. Um, but there, so, so this is what a lot of people don't know. There are a lot of complications behind it. Bottom line, the, the taxes were owed to Malaysia and all I was the one, my accountants and I were the ones that called the IRS asking who paid what to whom so we can pay the difference to the states. How can we you know, get this? And it took almost two years of the IRS trying to figure out what before they converted it without even telling any of us why to criminal. And, um, and then it went from there to just a broken system and I got abused beyond description. But I never attempted to evade a goddamn thing and uh, was convicted of that. Briefly, last point with that, I um, uh, was charged with attempting to evade taxes, but I refused to plea. So they dropped it. And eight months later, 
They came back with 10 counts. Bank fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, charity fraud, blah, 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 blah. Knowing I would agree to plea. They didn't know me. <laughs> Cocky, arrogant, whatever you want to call it. I told them to fuck themselves, literally, in a meeting. And uh, told my lawyer, who was trying to get me to plea, listen, I can't stand up in front of a judge and said, yes, I att attempted to evade taxes when I didn't. I called the IRS and asked who paid what to whom so we can pay it. That didn't happen. So they're lying. And I went to trial and was acquitted of everything because it was all made up crap that this part of our broken system that they do accept attempting to evade taxes, which was so confusing, we couldn't even follow it in the courtroom. So I don't I don't even blame the jurors. Mm. It was nuts, though. That's my introduction to the system. And then I was sentenced to more time in prison than anyone in U.S. history for the amounts they claimed, which were made up. Which we could do a whole podcast yeah, on that, yeah, but, yeah. but 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 we'll 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 save that for another day. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about someone that you just mentioned, which is Mark Burnett. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing that I took away from an interview that I was listening to with Tina. Uh, Tina said that during the Australian Outback finale, that Mark Burnett came backstage and said to her, both her and Colby, that he wanted them both to be aware of the importance of kindness that and how they spoke about their fellow cast members moving forward. He said, "These are the people that." are going to be in your life for better or for worse for a period of time, whether you like it or not. And it's important that you speak kindly about them. Kind of ironic in many ways, considering the machinations of the game over time. But I'm wondering if you can recall any memories of Burnett from your time in Borneo, particularly because he was, from my understanding, much more hands-on in the day-to-day -day production than he is today. 100%. So back to that same conversation I told you about when I shut down things on the beach. And then Mark switched into uh, a more understanding tone. He wasn't threatening anymore. During that interaction, he said to me, uh, by the way, Hatch, um, you know we're family now. You know this is a lifetime thing. You know we've made something here that's going to be historic. You and I are family. We are, uh, you know, connected We'll be connected. We will, uh, anything you ever need, I'm there. Now, was this intentional uh, to, 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 to stop there ever being any conversation about the cheating or something? I, I have no idea what's in his mind, but that was clear and crystal clear. And then uh, at the 10-year reunion, we were in a crowd of hundreds in L.A., and Mark came over, and this had all had unfolded, and uh, all the crap had happened. And he said, um, I could not be more sorry for what happened. I couldn't do anything about it. They wouldn't let me. Um, and if you ever need anything, ever, just say the word. I think that had as much real meaning as the first stuff or what he said to Tina. I don't know much more about it. We were friendly. We interacted, went to dinner, did all kinds of things. I had a cell phone number blah, 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 initially until my accountants reached out to CBS asking questions from accounting. What about who paid what to whom, etc. It turns out Mark bribed some tour, uh, official in Malaysia to let us in on a tourist visa because he thought that would change the tax situation or something. It didn't. The taxes were still owed there but, and they were required to have been paid by Burnett or CBS before we left the island, and he didn't. Hmm. And nobody wants to address that. And the RIS didn't go after him or CBS because they have deep pockets. They have unlimited. They could defend it. So they went after me. And that's that's really 
the crux of all of this. Just go after and abuse the little guy. And then for uh, Burnett, who made all those promises and pretends to be someone who cares, to completely ignore it and to, to have uh, no interest or, uh, or willingness to um, help, uh, admit anything, uh, jump in at all. So that's personally who I know the man to be. Beyond that, I don't know. Fair. Yeah. So let's move back to the game of Survivor, because I do want to talk about Survivor All-Stars. Cool. We've got some controversy there, too. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I'm surprised by your reaction. I, the moment Sean said that, I was a little bit like, but okay, I'm glad you're glad. Let's go. Oh, yeah. No. Thrilled. Yeah. So yeah, no. seven seasons after you won the title of Soul Survivor, first first Soul Survivor ever, you you know get the call to go out for Survivor All-Stars. Who were you uh, most excited to play the game with? And was there anybody who might have been out there, even whether they were out there or not, who you kind of didn't want to see? I guess if if I'm, you know, as accurate as I can be, I, I can't remember uh, what I was thinking about who was there or who wasn't there. The overwhelming feeling was stress around the idea of I knew I couldn't be too different from who I believed or knew uh, uh, myself to be perceived as by those people. Hmm. So I knew now how viewers had perceived me. All these other players were viewers of my season. So I had to think about how I couldn't be too different from how they perceived me if I expected to get far in this game. So the naked thing, the arrogant thing, the all this stuff that, that nece- isn't necessarily... I'm not an exhibitionist. I am comfortable naked and don't care. But that's not my thing. I don't like go around trying to get people to see me naked, etc. But okay, here I got to go with the naked guy because that's my moniker. And all right, I got to be kind of arrogant because everybody thinks I'm arrogant. And all that's important because all you have in this game are these perceptions to keep you from getting voted off. So that, that was my stress going in, not not necessarily who each individual was. I knew Rudy was going to be there, and that was kind of uh, comforting, but I didn't know how or where or what team or all the rest of that. Mm. <clears throat> Anyone, though, that you were specifically like, I'm not so sure about that person? Because you have to, I mean, I want to just quickly contextualize. This All-Stars is different than any other future All-Stars in that all 20 of you were 20, right? 18 or 20? I think Something it was 20. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, 18. All 18 of you were stars. And we're talking Colby, Jerry, Rupert. I mean, these were, uh, Ethan, these were stars. And so on a contemporary all-star season of Survivor, you're getting all-stars of the game of Survivor. But I really feel like all-stars, this all-stars, also the format, there had never been anything like this before no. that brought reality television players back to a game. So, so much unprecedented. But anyway, back to the question. Anyone that you were kind of like, I don't know if I want to play with this person. No, it wasn't that I didn't want to play with them. I was too stressed about how am I going to play with them. It didn't right. matter who they were. I didn't like not want to play with any. I had to think about who they were and be prepared to uh, 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 react to that, to address that, to adapt to how they might have adapted it's so funny you say that because, you know, we're talking about, you know, someone like Rudy's lack of introspection. And it sounds like this this thinking that you're doing in the lead up, oh. I'm just imagining Rudy just being like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm going to Panama. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. They were talking to him about how much to do or how much physically to stress or whether he could by that. Rudy was 72 years old when we did the original season. He wasn't contemplating like <laughs> how he might be perceived or what was happening in the other people's minds. Or He was like, yeah, I still got to do my push-ups. Somebody bringing in a fish? You know, that's Rudy. <laughs> it's, it's just who he is. Oh, God, it was fun. Um, but the other people were the other people. They were, they were, I worked for um, Entertainment Tonight. I worked for, um, I hosted a lot of different shows, uh, Live with Regis. I, I did a lot of um, interviewing of the contestants as they were voted off. So I knew all of these people who were coming on on All Stars. I had a sense of who they really were. And that for me is an advantage. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of my superpower is kind of figuring out who people are and kind of um, it's just something I've always been interested in my entire life. So those little tidbits of information I had about these players was, was gold. And that's what I was using in my prep, in my lead up to, to the all-star game, not like who don't I want there or whatever that that's just, they were pawns just like in the first game. It's just, Something you got to deal with. I, I didn't have a personal reaction to it. Hmm. So you didn't make the jury in All-Stars, but no. you go on this uh, pre-jury trip that we've heard a little bit about. Not a lot, though. So can you tell us, I think, did you go to Argentina? Somewhere South America, right? With so you're Tina, not allowed to Rudy, come back to Rob. the States. Yeah, you're not allowed to come yeah. back to the States uh, because they didn't want press, and press was following everybody, to know who was voted off in what order. And you could uh -huh. go where you wanted. And so we, I picked Argentina, which was phenomenal. And I met my husband of 14 years uh, on that trip. But from my understanding, from listening to a recent interview between, not recent, it was like from 2020, yeah. uh, an interview with Tina and Rob, the four of you were together until it became the three of them oh, when yeah. you chose to run off. So can you elucidate? Sure. Yeah. No, there was no runoff. I don't know what they were saying. They may not have known all of what was behind the scenes or the conversations or whatever. Um, there's an interesting dynamic that happens when people are voted off and the production hadn't figured out how to do that yet. So um, you're, you're, you know, a little bit uh, familiar, I think, with the business, the entertainment industry, et cetera. These producers and their assistants, et cetera, they're like 20s, 20 somethings. And so they get these positions and they're, this one's in charge of that and this one's in charge of this. And so they assigned babysitters <laughs> to each of us who were 20 or 21 or whatever. And they were like, can I have your passport and you're this and you're that? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, the game's over. No, you're not holding my passport for me. I don't need my mom. I don't need my granddaughter uh, carrying my passport. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, the arrogance, right? Uh, it's just me. Um, I've traveled the world. I was perfectly comfortable. I didn't need them. But they had this uh, invested interest, vested interest in, in making sure both we were safe, not followed by uh, press and what we were doing, you know, prior to getting back to the States. But that wasn't part of our contracts. And so I made it clear, you know, <laughs> hey, this is a trip. I'm, I'm going to be here for a month. I'm doing my thing. And when we landed in Bariloche, which is just a gorgeous part of Argentina, they brought us to this cabin with, I don't know, it might've had one or two bedrooms. I can't remember. And I don't think there was running water, but they were going to try and get it to run. And I said, oh, geez, well, this is cute. Where am I staying? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, there are some options. And this, I wasn't talking to the other participants about that. I mean, they could do whatever they wanted, but I was just talking to the, the producer, whoever it was. And, um, and she made a call, whatever, and they gave me options. And there was a five-star resort, not even a quarter mile down the road. And uh, Zhao Zhao, uh, golf and, and resort spa. And that's where I stayed. And Smart. Emiliano was the director of tourism. And I went home and he followed back to, came to New York, uh, maybe a couple of weeks later. And we were married in Canada and we're together 14 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So let, let's, let me ask this. And this is a complex conversation I want to recognize um, as, we, as we go down this road. So let's talk about the complex relationship with Susan yeah. Bach. In 2021 lingo, you two would be considered frenemies during Borneo. Uh, very much a better the devil you know than the devil you don't type of relationship. Then on All Stars, during a challenge in which you were yeah. naked, Sue was forced to be pressed up against your Not genitals. True. Hold on. I'll, yeah. No, hold yeah, on. Yeah. No, no, hold no on, but hold you on. can't even say Sue that. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair. That's not true. Go, go to yeah. correct me. Okay, correct yeah, me. Yeah, that didn't happen. That's what keeps getting said over and over and over and over. That literally okay, me, did not happen. Let me correct happen. myself then. So in an in a uh, in an edit that was depicted on the television show, it appeared as okay. though is that can, you can I say, say that? that? Yeah. It appeared as though Sue was forced to be pressed up against your genitals in a challenge in which you decided to yeah. be naked. Sue later quit the game, saying she felt, quote, sexually violated, humiliated, dehumanized, right. and totally spent. However, you say that that version of events depicted in the edit is not true to what happened. That's not just Can, what I say. Go ahead. Fair ask enough. the question. Can you unpack all yes, of this? Yes, 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 yes. It is complicated, and I, I want to be fair um, as I can to who she is. Uh so first, let's start with season one. I was naked nearly continuously. So were other people. Not nearly continuously, but often. Sue being one of them. She was very, very, uh, what's the word? Crass, um, uh, explicit, uh, kind of even over the limit for for most people this is this is just body this is just who sue can be this is an example so we lived that entire season that way sue and i went all the way you know to nearly the end together and we were as you call it frenemies uh it it varied but um for me there were no people in that game who were anything other than pawns uh to get to the end until it was over and then I developed relationships. I didn't have a, a dislike or a like or friends or a not friends thing while the game was going on. That's just who we were. Fast forward, All-Stars. We're on All-Stars and I'm naked because that's me. <laughs> that's part of how I played the game. I needed to play the game similarly so that I wasn't perceived as someone who was now playing harder. Um, there were a lot of pieces that went into that puzzle. And in this challenge particularly, I knew people would be probably uncomfortable crossing a, a, a beam with me naked. I'm not going to get dressed to make them more comfortable unless someone had asked me to. Had they asked, oh, you know, can you put something on because this will be close quarters? This was an advantage. Survivor, outwit, outlast, outplay. And I was playing the game. What you saw is an edit that was um, uh, characteristic of every cliffhanger any editor has ever made, designed to make people think, what the hell's going on there? Come back next week. 
I never knew anything happened, just so you know. I literally knew nothing happened other than, weirdly, Hawk, Sue Hawk, went through the course, was done, was getting off the table, turned around because for some reason she wanted to come back toward me, turned around and came back toward me to confront me for some reason in the middle of the game. This is not part of the game. This is completely in the opposite direction of her team was yelling at her. Where are you going? It's over. You know, you're done. Get, what are you doing? And I put my hands up to, to totally back away or whatever and taunted a little bit with like, what do you want? What are you doing? You want some of this or whatever? Some of the comments weren't um, things I would necessarily be proud of now, but none of that was anything I initiated in any way, shape or form or um, uh, tried. Literally never touched the woman. While my hands were up with any part of my body, while my hands were up in the air, she touched my waist and was was doing something. I don't know whether go, trying to go around, not go around. This whole interaction was unnecessary, instigated by her for whatever reasons you might think. Later, when we talked, many of us, we recalled Sue saying that she was going to do something uh, because she knew she wasn't going to win. She told several of us that she had a plan. We think that's the plan, that she was going to extort CBS using, using this. So when it came to pass that we were all brought to California to, what do you call that? Um, not a court. It's a, uh, when you each talk and somebody in the middle makes a decision, mediation. Jeez. Mediation. <laughs> we were brought to mediation. Um, they had footage, unedited, unblocked. So I didn't even have my blue dot. Full footage from all four cameras showing all of the interaction. So she and her husband and her attorney, me and my husband and my attorney, the, all the executives, everybody there and the attorneys saw all that footage. I never touched her with any part of my body. She never touched me other than around my waist. My junk never rubbed against her. I didn't push it on her. I never approached her. She approached me. It was all made perfectly clear prior to them settling. And uh, that's so maddening to me uh, that when it all was resolved or getting resolved, I refused to sign unless they paid me what they were agreeing to pay her. Because I said, what you have done, and I said this all in the mediation, you CBS and whatever, and what she has done has not harmed you or her. It's harmed me. You've claimed something about me. And so how dare you settle with her as if something were happening or not? And, and you know, you, you can ask her now or in all these years later, she would never claim that I touched her because it didn't happen and she wouldn't be allowed to say it happened as a result of receiving whatever she received. But my attorney... Go ahead. Can I ask you some 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 questions that have come up in the story? Go get so, them. So, yeah. one, uh, you mentioned this. You know, you were naked because Completely. you recognized the way in which that would give you an advantage in the challenge Correct. and would outlast that play, as you said. Is there a part of you, in retrospect now, that looks at it and says production should not have allowed you to be naked? No, um, because that's why I was naked in the first game, too. I... There were there, there, there are several layers to this. First of all, I think nudity is natural, and it bothers the shit out of me that this 
ridiculous country in which we live is as um, backward as it still is today with respect to um, a penis or breasts or a woman can't take off her shirt or whatever. Who the frick gives a... I mean, I think that is what causes much of the sexual uh, problems that we have in this country. The the uh, sexual harassment and all the rest of this is this this false idea of what nudity means. It can be sexualized, but it's not inherently sexual, and it shouldn't be, and it's natural, and oh my God. Anyway, that really, really frustrates me. So one of my goals in the first season was to try and make it a non-issue, to use it to my advantage, because I thought I could get around better because people wouldn't be following me. And if it were something to make somebody uncomfortable, that often exposes who that person is. And that would be great conversation because I need to get to know these people quickly in order to take advantage of them and get rid of them. Uh, so yes, I understand how that sounds and people are thinking, oh, that's terrible. That's in real life. This is a game in which we've signed waivers saying we'll be around naked people, that it doesn't bother us, that we're fine with it, et cetera, et cetera. And it's outwit, outlast, outplay. Those same things were signed in All-Stars. If producers had not wanted us to be naked, they certainly knew I was going to be, and they could have, if they'd wanted us not to be, rewritten the rules and had us not be naked. But we were all at different times naked in different reasons. Yes, it was a game in which I was intentionally naked to my advantage. That's Survivor from my perspective. But I, but I see what you're saying. Should producers not allowed it? That's up to you guys. And maybe they don't now. Well, I'm asking another question. I'm yeah, not yeah. saying I feel one way or the other about it. Uh, yeah, my other yeah. question would be, so from what I'm understanding about what you're conveying, that Sue's effort to throw you under the bus was more in an effort to extort CBS and you were sort of the 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 reason the the reason that she found in order to get the you were the means to I the I was end the vehicle. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but I guess what makes this uh complex on top of complex is that you had a pre-existing relationship with Susan in which Susan is one of the reasons if not isn't her if she had voted for Kelly Kelly would have won am I correct? No. No, I'm off of that. Yeah, you're okay. uh, you're well. You're a little off with that because um, her speech caused someone to change their vote from Got me. It. Okay. To so, okay. So, needless to say, uh, we could say a lot of the reason why you won this million dollars is because of this woman. No, 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 That's... no, no. I almost lost it because of her. They changed it in the opposite direction. She was oh. she was yelling at them to vote for me, and Colleen said, "Jesus, this woman's desperate to get us to vote for Rich. I'm voting for Kelly." Got it. Okay. So, okay. But I had enough anyway, luckily. So no. Fair enough. And to, to your question or to what you're talking about here now, I never spoke to Sue after, after leaving that island. We okay. never talked or had any interaction or relationship between then and All-Stars at all. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Fair. So then one last aspect of this story that I want to sort of thread the needle on is the appearance uh, on the early show, uh, which happened after. So for those that don't know, Sue then quits the game shortly after you are voted out of the game. The two of you appear together on CBS, the early show in which everything appears to be good. You two appear to you to articulate the fact that you guys have had conversations since and this 
is water under the bridge. Can you uh, articulate sort of what went on behind the scenes in the, in the lead up to that? I think that's what I just shared was that whole um, mediation thing in California. So took... that happened in the in-between. Oh, yeah. But, okay. Yeah, that happened. So just so you'll know, uh, I never even knew that that occurred while we were filming. I was voted off. I never knew she was upset. I thought she was nuts because I always thought she was nuts. And I didn't know what she was doing. But she, you never know what Sue's doing. The, the speeches or whatever, the... What, 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 do you remember the words you just used? She was yelling, I was humiliated and blah, 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 blah. That happened after I was voted off. I was gone. I was in Bariloche, Argentina. So I never knew any of that had taken place. Um, and never did learn that it took place until it aired. The night before it aired, they called me and told me that I needed to watch it and that I would be flying out to California to, uh, uh, to this mediation. I forget how they said it then or whatever. Nothing. No sense of it. No idea that it had occurred. No, could not have imagined that she could have concocted that. It just never happened. And I was unaware that she claimed it happened until the show aired. Now, that was six months later or something. I mean, that was some long, long time later. Just to give you a sense of how nuts it was for me. Like, what? Crazy. So, Richard, I would assume that's the last time you spoke to Sue. Correct. Yeah, yeah. No, I've never spoken to her since. Does, any, does anybody keep in touch with Sue that you know of from your season? I don't. Or? I've never heard from anyone who has spoken to her, her either. I mean, she, she, she's a unique individual. Um, I think she had her challenges. I don't know what led up to them in her lifetime. And I do think that it was CBS's responsibility to a great extent uh, to have understood those challenges before they brought her back to All-Stars. I can un I can see that they wouldn't have known them as fully or clearly prior to original Survivor, Borneo, but they knew in Borneo what the issues were and how fragile um, she could be. And, and then to bring her back, which I understand because of who she was in the show and the speech and et cetera. But it really was an exploitation, exploitation of someone's fragility that we should talk about as a, as a country, I think, or as a viewing audience. And is that what we want? Um, and CBS knew that, bringing her back into to, uh, All-Stars. So what happened in All-Stars? Was that concocted? Was that a true breakdown? Was that any of that real? in her mind. I'm not here to say or judge or to, I have no idea how much of that was actually um, what she felt or believed or, or whatever. But I can tell you it wasn't real. It was imaginary. And that's not me just saying it. That's a complete factual review of all footage. Uh, and I did nothing, literally nothing to apologize for or to instigate any of it. So it's a difficult place because that's been something people like you guys have imagined. I rubbed my junk on her for 20 years now. I mean, it's, you know, 18 years. It's crazy. Well, I appreciate you illuminating it now sure. because I think you've made it very clear. I have to say, speaking frankly to you, some of the interviews that I saw you do in the subsequent years and the emotion that you 
clung on to at the time and i'm not discounting your emotion mind you but that made it a little it felt very charged and so it made it made it hard to connect with the words you were saying because i was sensing a lot of uh and and maybe justifiably so you wanted to correct the record about the ways in which you felt your name had been wrong yeah but i just remember part of the reason we wanted to have you on this podcast was because this was an important thing to talk about, yeah. but it's an uncomfortable conversation as I know you recognize. I do recognize um, it, but but honestly, it is not uncomfortable for me. I would be happy, but I don't recall any of these earlier uh, interviews you're talking about. So I grant you that I have no idea where my head was emotionally. I could have been really, really angry. I don't even know if I could communicate to you how angry I was when I learned what had happened. And how it was being exploited and how even as the show aired, how they left that cliffhanger of that episode. Mm-hmm. I spit nickels because I know what Probst knew. I know what he saw and I know what had happened. So to know that they intentionally allowed that sent me into outer space. So I can only imagine what you might have seen me spewing anywhere I had a chance to. But I've learned it doesn't do any good. Only a, 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 this tiny little snippet of people who happen to see you at that particular time only get some odd impression from what you're saying of what might have gone on. So I've let go of all the frustration. I know the facts um, and anybody who ever looked into them, and there are very few people who will, who asked her, who asked the, the, the people, that the footage or whatever, would know the facts too. And to see 41, uh, season 40, play out the way it did and then 41 me not get on it because i think you're referring to 39 and 40 right oh sorry yeah 39 and 40 not 41 41's just now yeah i had lots to say while 39 aired i mean lots because we don't freaking know what the hell happened and to watch probst use that as some kind of we here at survivor are the good people who are going to do the right thing, crap, uh, and only to serve his name. Oh, my God. I mean, it really, really, really made me mental because I knew there were lives at stake. Those participants, Kelly, Dan, all of them, that experience was ruined in a way that I can't explain uh, to people who who weren't there as a result of CBS's choices. 100% 100% Probst and CBS, that's their choices to have depicted it the way they did, to have left you with the impressions they left you with. All of that is CBS's responsibility. Awful. So looking back at All Stars, do you have any regrets about going on to All Stars in the way that it impacted your life? Or do you have any regrets about anything uh, dur- <laughs> that you did during your time on Survivor, either season one or season eight? Well, just as an intellectual, that's a that's a, that's one of those questions that's really kind of uh, philosophical. Uh, you know, do you regret this? Do you regret that? It's really difficult to say, gosh, I wish I didn't go. Why? <laughs> Why? I love the game. I won the original game. I should have been on all, you know. No. So I, I don't regret it. I, I regret that I was used in the way that I was without my knowledge. I wish there were some way that I could have understood what happened. There's more that happened in All-Stars that you guys, did you know Probst made a, 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 a an inaccurate call? I didn't know that about All-Stars. Oh yeah, in All-Stars he made a call, and I th- was it Rob, in Rob's favor, or my, against me. 
that ended that that, re- that resulted in my being voted out. When if he'd made the accurate call, the person who fell in the water actually first, um, we wouldn't have gone to tribal council, and I could have been there and maybe won All Star. I mean, it's it's nuts. The game was really, really, really crazy. So now, all these years later, did. Probst intentionally make that call because he knew something behind the scenes had happened with that? Or was it before that? I don't even know. It, this is the kind of manipulative stuff that people don't want to understand does happen with the game. And mm-hmm. and we are we are sadly not exposed to the, the, the genuine game that really is a wonderful survivor um, because of people who interfere in that way when there's no need to. They didn't, but anyway, people like. I want to ask uh, about Winners at War. Yeah. Um, just for your knowledge, I just watched the premiere of Winners at War for the okay. very first time. That's where I am at in my journey, yeah. and I was disheartened to not see you back at Winners at War because I am a completist by nature, and I feel like you started this game, you should have been there at Winners at War. I feel similarly about Tina and the negligence of not having Tina. I feel similarly about Vesepia not having the first black female winner. I just, in general, I feel like the first, uh, the early winners were really duped when it comes to Winners at War. We weren't duped. Now, go ahead. Yeah, we sorry. were abused. We were... Um, the victims of stupidity. Uh, it, re- it really was a bad choice. Literally, you th- lots will think, hear me say this and think it's my ego. And, and I'm going to talk about Probst's ego and whatever. Who does he to talk about ego? Blah, blah, blah. I don't care what people think. It literally, I think objectively, was really, really stupid. It was at the game's expense. It was ego involved. Probst knows what I think of him. Probst knows that I have much to say about his incompetence. Um, anyway, they invited, but, they invited yeah. me. They said, come on, 41. They didn't just say, come on. We went through talks, went through medical, and he said, you're in. By the way, you're not just in. The executives aren't deciding in this season. It's up to this panel of ev- all these other people, and you are the only player that every single one of them, 100%, voted you in you're in this season so yes go ahead and drop out of your phd program my last class my final class in my phd program you're in you're coming you're gone i'd already paid so that's fifteen thousand something down the drain i dropped out got prepared ready to go and two days before flying out they dropped tina and me and told us we they didn't even tell us that he called and said um things are on pause and I said, I don't believe you. And he said, I told them you wouldn't believe me. And he laughed. And I've, I've never heard from them since. And I think, I mean, among the many disappointing things about that is hearing both from you now and from Tina how bad you both wanted to play. Oh my because gosh, there yeah. are several players on Winners at War that didn't want to play, yeah. that had to be dragged back to the island. Um, also, I think it's worth noting, I just watched this interaction with, uh, I think it was Danny and Ethan, and, and they were saying, oh, like, we played the game before the Immunity Idol, which actually is not true. The Immunity Idol was in Danny's season. So Ethan is the only player on Winners at War to not know the Hidden Immunity Idol because because Sandra knows it from her later seasons. And I just think that's a huge shame. It'd be fun to watch these old school winners compete in the new school game. So it'd be even more fun for me to have won it because I would have. 
<laughs> I don't care about not having played with an immunity idol. I would have adapted. That's what the survivor winner does. He or she adapts to whatever is coming, coming at them. If it's coming at them fairly and equitably, mm -hmm. which it's not any longer because mm -hmm. of Probst. We can get into that right. if you want, but 41 so, a mess. <laughs> well, so you said that you were pulled from appearing on Winners at War because of the Dan Spilo situation. Oh, I don't know. 39. Okay, well, okay, so, sorry. Then I should say, it's been speculated yeah. by some that that yeah. is the reason. Yeah. I do want to uh, offer up a quote that Jeff said at the time when he was asked directly about why you weren't involved. Oh, good. He said, quote, given his history on our show, it did not seem appropriate. We were in a different time and a different culture back then, and we would never let him run a challenge naked now. Yeah. Looking back on it, it just doesn't, it just didn't seem to fit. It's not a slam against Richard Hatch. He's just being Richard Hatch. I could spit at him. I could spit on him were he to say that to me in person. He's a lying, um, uh, uh, phony uh, prick. And he knows that all he cares about is what he thinks might be how he'll look. Because he believes he, the host, is far, far, far more important than any of the players or what's going on with them. None of that is true. That whole bit about who he's been or whatever or whatever. Who have I been? I was a winner on the first season when nobody understood the game. And this is Winners at War. This was the season to really kind of let people see, you know, really who does have the chops to win against the real winners. I mean, to go against Tony Vlachos, oh my gosh, what a, what a phenomenal opportunity that would have been for me. All the rest of this crap is propsed and CBS and media concocted nonsense. And the game itself is all I cared about. If I were someone uh, whose character uh, should be questioned or who wasn't, uh, you know, a good representative for the show, I would be more than happy to talk about that um, and, and, and interested in how the show kind of had some particular standard that they used to select contestants. This is made up for Probst in that moment. It's crap. It's bull crap. He doesn't care about any of those other participants who were there and any of the things that they might have done, Boston Rob included. You know, how dare you? This is your friends, your buddies. This has nothing to do with what's best for the game. And that's so sad. I do just want to add, I mean, to your point, there are QAnon conspiracy theorists. There are anti-vaxxers that are welcomed onto this show multiple times. So I think if we're trying to have a conversation about the integrity of the contestants, I think we really have to look holistically and ask, our, ask ourselves a lot of questions about sort of like who the heroes of this show are. Let me ask you this much. If, I mean, I think I know the answer, but if they did come around and say, you know, if for some reason maybe Propes is no longer attached to the show yeah. or or he has a change of heart or something, if the rumored legend season does move forward or, you know, there's a lot of people looking now to the possibility of season 50 being some kind of big something something, would you go back and play the game again? There would need to be some kind of uh, reconciliation. There would need to be some kind of something. They stole money from me when they told me to drop out of the uh, PhD program. They impugned my integrity in a way that was callous and uh, disregarded any kind of um, just minimal uh, level of compassion and, 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 and just goodness. You know, Probst is an awful human being. And if we didn't address his um, 
his disdain of, of certain players, his homophobia, uh, and I could talk him through that from season one forward, the way he interacted with me after winning. Uh, um, it's it's just, there's a lot. There's There's a lot. Do I love the game? Do I want to go back? Of course. I think I'm a phenomenal player. I don't think people have um, a full appreciation because it's been so long for what people can do. This whole idea of like old school, new school, what a bunch of horseshit. It's survivor. And if the game is the game, you need to, you need to be an incredible survivor player. And, you know, to not give old school players the opportunity to show that they, it is not old school. They're just the best player out there is absurd. Um, do I care in the grand scheme of things? No. Is it going to affect my life? No. But do, do I care about Survivor fans who appreciate the game in the way I do? Sure. I get contacted by them all the time. And I talk about this. And I would love to do it for those people who really are purists, who love what the game is and should be. And uh, and, and that's me. And so I'd love to do it for me, too. Uh, I'm really proud of how well I played the game and and how well I understood it and understand it and how I see other people missing what's um, necessary to play it well and the few who do play it well. I love that. Excuse me. So, ooh, complicated, Evan. But yeah, you know, I, I, I think I would go back, but it would take some um, reconciliation. Fair enough. Uh, we're going to uh, drop our last question because it was asking you for your thoughts about Jeff Probst, oh. which I think you <laughs> made ex explicitly clear. Can I ask you if you don't mind, though, and you can choose not to answer, but I dealt, I'm writing a book about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and oh, I dealt fun. with a situation recently with two cast members, or rather, one cast member who absolutely hates another cast member, and one thing I asked him during our interview was for him to say one kind thing about that cast member, yeah, because no. I thought it exposed uh, a humanity. Sure. And so I'm wondering, is there something that you can say about Jeff Probst that is in the positive. I think Prost is 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 literally an incredible, almost incredibly good host. I think he is skillful. I I have I I watched and understood his preparation. I learned about how he um, did his homework and prepared. These these scenes that come off um, so smoothly really take some care and some thought and he's great at that at being a host <laughs> great S sliding off of that into perceiving himself as something beyond that is just delusional that's nonsense he doesn't understand the game he doesn't get it he has no consideration whatsoever for the participants and it's sad Almost a compliment sandwich. Almost. 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 Yeah. Well, there was a compliment in yeah, there. That's, there was. I heard one. Yeah, yeah I heard one. There was. I, mean, I agree. Is. I agree. He is a good, he is a good yeah. host. Is he a good yeah. executive producer? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. And he has so interjected his nonsense into the game and a need to, to kind of force himself into it that he's truly, truly undermining the game for fans of the game. Like watching this game was smash the thing and change everything about the game. Oh, you won immunity. Ha ha, no you didn't. Oh, oh, don't get me started. It's, it's stupid. If you watched a football game and the players, you know, came back the next week 
And they said, no, ha <laughs> the goalpost. That wasn't the goalpost. You just thought it was the goalpost. It's over there on the side. You didn't get any points. It's the same thing. Well, I think Danny is having this Oop. exact response yeah, that yeah. you speak to as a former I'm football flailing. player. <laughs> <laughs> My arms were flailing around. I, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So I, I just want to ask then, because we're we're at season 41 now while we're yeah. recording this interview. And, uh, you know, Jeff's making a big deal about drop the four, keep the one. I think that's a little bit of an insult to season one. Um, and, and it really is, though. To, you know, to his credit, it's a whole new game uh, that doesn't it's seem not, to doesn't seem to have rules, though. Uh, that's it doesn't. It's not a new game. It's nonsense. It's a it's a destruction of a game. It's not a new game. Mm. Drop the four, uh, keep the one is stupid. Uh, <laughs> yes, come on, is. guys, is stupid. Uh, that was all for Probst. That was all for Probst air. That was all for him to look um, uh, politically correct. You know, should I not say, come on, guys? And then he says, come on, guys, in the next two episodes yeah. after saying, OK, we'll stop. Come on. I mean, it's it's yeah. bad. He's yeah. really, really that um, that unself-aware that he's going to do that because that looks good and feels good. Let's make everybody do it. And even with the whole production team and everything else, doesn't even catch himself saying, come on, guys, again later. It's just nonsense. He knows that that's not meant offensively. And if he'd wanted to change it, change it. You didn't make that po- You don't need to make that take up all that air from the game, taking away time that we would get to know who's Evan, you know, who's Sean. I want to know who they are, the game players. Anyway. Yeah. And then not and then, that I have I mean, opinions. Then, yeah. <laughs> I, we talked about this at length about about the come on in guys. Uh, at, at the end of the day, the person that this has affected is Ricard, who spoke up, who gave his opinion because he was asked for it. Uh, and, and now he is receiving the brunt of hate on social media from, you know, like men who have watched the show for the past 20 right, years who don't probes. like to. Yeah, uh, and, yeah you're going to say you, you may think and viewer listeners may think of this as a stretch, but this is a subtle example of Prop's homophobia. He doesn't give a shit about who Ricard is or how he might be perceived having come out with that. It's just not in his realm of ability to even comprehend, oh, it's this gay guy. Doesn't even, he can't think about them as a person. He just doesn't. I know that seems like a stretch to people, but I know the man more than I wish I did. And and that's a lot of what's behind not caring about that. Yeah, let, let's throw Ricard under the bus. Who cares? We don't even need, he's not even probably aware that that happens. That's how bad it is. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. R. So, so, so wh- one last question, Rich, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you did go back to play. I'm not in a rush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you did go back to play and you're playing this game that has been sort of chipped away at, how do you think, and I know it's hard to just imagine what Jeff could come up with next, but how would you adapt? Because that is the way to do it. I mean, when we saw Kelly Wigglesworth come back, the reason she didn't do well is she didn't adapt. She played yeah. her season one game. So how do you do Whereas, that? Whereas, in contrast, I think it's worth noting someone like Tina, who mm-hmm. did such a phenomenal job of playing both an old school and air quotes, old school, air quotes, new school game. Yeah. So uh, back to my uh, original answer. That is the skill. That is the effect, the the um, competent survivor player's skill. It is adaptability. So to say to you uh, how I would adapt is impossible hmm. because that's what adapting is. Hmm. I would have to kind of confront 
whatever it was I was experiencing in order to be adapting to it. But I'd have to be prepared to adapt, which is what is lacking in so many players' uh, repertoire. They just don't have that capacity or haven't prepared to generate that capacity in themselves. But it's necessary. You can't win without it. And uh, that's what I would do. I mean, I would do my best. I'm not saying I could adapt to some of this nonsense because the arbitrary nonsense isn't really a part of the game survivor. It's this thing where they've moved the goalpost in football. It's, it's a whole new game. You can't say, you can say we don't have immunity uh, 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 necklaces or idols. We, we don't have idols, immunity idols. Okay, but in the game now, there are going to be idols. That's fair. That's equitable. People might find them, might not find them. They exist, and then you can be immune. But you can't say, I've won immunity. And then, ah, no, you haven't. That's not fair. That's not part of the game. That's not equitable. That's not, that's so contrived as to be suspect, if not proof, that the producer is making up shit to have the game unfold the way they want it. Oh no, we can't have one of them go out. We want them to stay. Make up something. You can never have confidence that that's not happening because they're that unscrupulous. Uh, it's not an ethical thing. They don't give a shit about you. If they can get away with it, they will. By law, they're supposed to have a uh, uh, reviewer of standards and practices on set since the 50s, the quiz game, quiz show uh, troubles. They don't. They didn't on season one. That's how they could get away with the cheating and never, you know, report it or do anything about it. And it's it's a frightening thing, the power they have and the abuses that they inflict upon the cast. Um, and not for nothing, this is something that we got into in our interview with Sugar um, that we aired a few weeks ago, which was one of the the ways in which she sort of talked about her own struggles with addiction yeah. and some of the stuff that she dealt with at Ponderosa after the fact and the ways in which production did not help her in a time of need. Now, I want to end on a positive okay. note, though, and Sean and I love Colleen Haskell. We adore her. We also love her, the fact that she is not a part of the Survivor verse and, and just is someone who, there's an enig enigmatic quality about someone like Colleen who had fame in her grasp and chose a lifestyle other than. As someone who once knew Colleen very well, <laughs> can you share with us just a fond or favorite memory of the great, a, a memory that the great Richard Hatch shared with the great Colleen Hatch. Oh, gosh, this is something interesting. Um, so it, it's fascinating to me, your love for her, and I understand it, I think. Um, and I have to point out that it's your love for who she was depicted to be. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure. As, as others disdain, for me, is often a result of how I was depicted, not the whole person. That said, she was young, uh, inexperienced. She was struggling with what this all meant for her, too, as it unfolded. And we had a number of conversations in that in that genre. Uh, she was uncomfortable um, at times with my being naked. She wasn't uncomfortable with um, Greg's or Jervis's or... Um, anybody else's nudity, but she did say something to the effect of, I feel like I'm sitting next to my dad naked or, or some, something, something like that. And I 
totally understood. None of my nudity was um, intentionally to make someone personally uncomfortable about that. And I think she knew that too. So we had our fun. We had, we had our fun at the, um, a, a number of events, uh, challenges, particularly that 99 bottles of beer on the wall mm. challenge. Mm-hmm. That we, we were in. And afterwards I was, um, I did see her at different events and was happy for her success, like in the animal. Um, it didn't do very well, but um, it was it was a great opportunity, yeah. <laughs> you know, for her. And I, I liked that. I, I loved that she was figuring out what to do from, from then on. But it wasn't her world. She never had a desire. I didn't either. Um, Greg didn't either. They really did bond on the island, not sexually, but as friends. And were um, playful in a way that I really, really appreciated. And maybe that's something you picked up on uh, in who she was. But Mm. she was a cutie and she was another one who was favored by production. So she got Mm. all kinds of things from behind the scenes. I'm not surprised. From the art Um, during the game. You know, gifts and whatever. I mean, you know. Fair. Hey, bring her back. That's how we do it. I don't think she'd want to. No, I don't think no. she would either. Yeah. Uh, Richard, it's been a wild ride, <laughs> but I'm really glad that we got to spend this time with you. Um, is there anything that we didn't ask that you want to add or anything we didn't cover that's on your mind? Every single good interviewer I have ever met with asks that question. And thank you for asking it. But if there is, I don't recall it now. You guys were great. And I uh, appreciate the opportunity. You know. Did you have a good time? I did have a good time. You're both adorable. You're both sincere, which for me means the world. Believe me, I've been interviewed by a lot of people who were bored out of their heads and weren't sincere about what they were asking and couldn't care less. And you guys were great. I really well, enjoyed Richard, it. I've had I've had some of these questions since I was 14 years old watching <laughs> Survivor Borneo, taping it on my VCR and rewatching it. So this is a big moment for well, me. Well, I texted you. You have my number. Don't hesitate. I'm just another guy. Just text anytime. Ask something. Something hits you guys and you're like, oh, wait. Oh, crap. I need to know. Just just ask. Perfect. I feel like you'll be a fun person to talk shit with. Anytime. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. A gay quality that we share. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. And we hope to see you one day back on the island. That would be fun. My pleasure. You guys have a great day. Okay, Evan, that was Richard Hatch. That what did you was think? Richard Hatch. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I think, as you expressed in, in the opener, I think there was some hesitation, reticence from both of us, you know, in terms of uh, not wanting to platform somebody who um, has some, there's some murkiness around, right? Like some, there's these allegations against Richard and, and we weren't there. We don't know what happened. And so, um There's just always, and this doesn't just apply to Richard. There's just questions sometimes with figures like this in terms of like, is it worth giving them the space? I feel like in the end it was. I'm glad we did this interview. I think we got a lot out of it. And I think it's really, if you are someone who is able to separate the, that, the allegations and that part of Richard from like the gameplay and Richard as the survivor player, I think there's a ton to get out of this. I understand that there are listeners who cannot do that, and I am not here to uh, say one should listen to this one way, but I think if you are able to do that, and I'm saying that I am, I think there's a lot to glean about Richard as a game player and sort of Richard's legacy and how uh, 
Richard really sort of set the standard of which uh, the show had, again, had season one not been the phenomenon that it was. And Richard's not the only reason why is it, why it was a phenomenon, but he's a big reason as to why it is. And had that not happened, and had the momentum not been there for that liftoff and into seasons two and three, we very likely would not have season 42 coming up. Yeah. I think that he is uh, so integral to the history of the show and obviously is fascinating to listen to. I think it, it becomes really tricky when we start to talk about Sue Hawk because she's not here to talk, right? And she doesn't talk. She's more or less disappeared. And uh, there is nobody I would love to talk to more than Sue Hawk, uh, but she is not reachable. Um, I do want to say, because we brought it up, uh, there was the early show appearance the day after Sue's quitting. And I just wanted to uh, point out a couple of things she said, because we heard a lot from uh, Richard's side of the story. And I thought it would only be fair to hear a little bit of what Sue said. And so this is the day after airing. She talked about while in the game, she said that evening when I had time to be by myself, I just kept reliving the incident. And it just kept eating into me more and more like a cancer. And then speaking on her subsequent conversation with Richard, which I, I assume is that mediation he was talking about, she said, it's been a long time since that and me and Richard have had a chance to sit down and hash it out and talk about the incident. And we both have different perspectives on it, but we have come to terms with it and agreed to move forward and past it. And then more broadly, she said, I did not appreciate what I felt was an intentional move against me with his private area that upset me so much that it was uncalled for, and it bothered me. I did consider a lawsuit when it first occurred, and I decided I needed not to do something on that move because that's emotionally draining also. I decided to move forward, and CBS has been real nice about helping to deal with the situation. So that's what Sue has to say about it. Clearly, um, they are coming from two different places and had this like legal agreement in place that sort of prevents uh, Sue, at least, from going into details on it. And I can understand why. But Sue has also uh, appeared at Survivor events in the following years. Uh, she went to the Heroes versus Villains premiere and talked about how she still watches the show and was like quite engaged. And she seemed a little disappointed that she wasn't on Heroes versus Villains. And I, too, am disappointed that she wasn't. Uh, I would love to hear from Sue again in the future. But, you know, I do personally think that All-Stars was hard for her. I think that, you know, no matter what the actual incident was and what it entailed, I think that she had an emotional reaction to that and a psychological reaction to that, having to process something that happened, right? And um, I found her to be uh, very genuine and believable in All-Stars. And it's like heartbreaking to see a character like her uh, feel those things. And so I can sort of understand why she has taken a step back and I can understand why Richard hasn't returned. But I really appreciate Richard's sort of like coming to this conversation, open to diving into whatever we wanted to talk about. Uh, and sharing with us his memories of season one and all stars and subsequent years and to get his thoughts on uh the most recent season season 41 of course we recorded this during uh, the airing of season 41 but still interesting to get his perspective particularly on jeff who uh he doesn't really seem to care a whole lot for no and i mean they clearly have a very fraught history and also i feel like he knows a very different jeff um he knows mm -hmm. a jeff uh pre-fame 
Okay, with that, we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to ask everybody to make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss the upcoming episodes that we have. We are going to be covering uh, Australian Survivor weekly recaps. I am going to be doing those with a guest co-host, and that is Ricard Foyer from season 41. Very excited about that. Also a little nervous because it's a lot of content every week to recap. So we will be doing one episode recapping all of uh, Australian Survivors episodes that week. Usually there's three in a week. So good luck to me. Uh, we also have some very exciting interviews and deep dives planned for you in the future. Uh, and uh, hey, we're only uh, a little over a month out of uh, Survivor 42. So uh, lots to look forward to. So make sure you're subscribed, rate and review if you like this. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.